Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them up to the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, it is uh, a gospel uh, like um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in that it gives us the story of Jesus. It's unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke in that it is written very differently. In fact, uh, there's a total of 879 verses uh, in John if you're counting, although for those of you who are familiar with the Gospel of John, you would say, oh, I'm not really sure about that. Uh, because between the end, the final verse in chapter 7 and the first 11 verses uh, in John 8, uh, the earliest manuscripts don't have that story, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, that may have been added later. So then it just knocks it down to 867 verses, about 30 minutes worth of reading. Uh, and I'll go ahead and start now by throwing out that challenge. Uh, I want to encourage you this week to read through the Gospel of John. Uh, it'll take you less time than if you sit down and watch an uh, episode of Desperate Housewives. For those of you who choose, or any 30-minute uh, show, uh, you can knock it out pretty quickly. But I want to talk about this idea of, of why it's called the Gospel of John. Uh, because I don't know that really it is the Gospel. In fact, I question that anything that takes place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should be considered gospel at all. And I'm basing that on the fact of how we actually define the word gospel. Can somebody tell me what gospel means? It is the good news. If you go back and look in the New Testament, you're going to find 92 times the word gospel is used almost exclusively by Paul. He uses it so many times, but it's found elsewhere. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which is basically a compound word, which means good and news. Uh, that got translated over into Latin, and from Latin it ended up in Old English, uh, and there it was uh, good spell. Uh, and that got changed around over the year, years. The long O became a short O, and instead of calling it good, it became Godspell, and they said, wait, no, it's, it's really just gospel. But it simply means good news. And so the question has to be, how come your preacher is standing in front of you trying to argue that what Jesus did was not good news? Well, let me tell you something. If you take my challenge seriously, and you sit down and you read the gospel, the good news from John, you might be saying, wow, that really isn't good news. At least for some people. After we open up in chapter 1 of John, where the Word becomes flesh and He makes His dwelling among us, we then begin in chapter 2, where Jesus is all... I mean, He just knows how to start things out. He cleanses the temple. Now, that's a really nice way of saying that He goes in and wrecks shop in the middle of a church. Because the way people were doing it were dishonoring God in his temple, and so Jesus says, this is not how it's going to happen. And so we begin John's good news with a fight. Chapter 3, 
Uh, I think we've kind of prettied this up a little bit, but there's a really intense discussion between a religious leader named Nicodemus and Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, hey, you, you can't, uh, you have to be born again. You were born first of water uh, and then of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, I don't even get this. Like, I've got to go back into my mother's womb. And they have this conversation. And ultimately, he's going to say what in verse 16? That God so loved the world that He gave. That the world was so terrible that the only way that God could salvage and save and redeem the world was through the blood of His Son. Well, is that good news? Well, how about the very next chapter? There is the confrontation between the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is talking to her. And there's really a whole lot of tension going on. And, and if you really think about what's going on, it really is getting pretty dicey. Because she keeps avoiding him and his questions. And he keeps pressing on. And ultimately, we see this change. But is this the gospel for everyone? Because in chapter 5 of John's gospel, the Jews try to kill him. In chapter 6, he feeds the people and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. And most of his followers said, what? This is too hard. I can't follow this and I can't follow him. And we have... Already, people are leaving Jesus. And then, of course, we have in chapter 7, there's the demon. Uh, they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. They once again try to seize Him so that they could kill Him, but His time had not yet come. So, I just want to make sure that as you open up the Gospel of John and you say, this is really good news, this is not necessarily good news for everyone. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning in John chapter 8. We'll skip over the passage that we're most familiar with, the one about the woman caught in the adultery. It's a beautiful story. But even in that, there's a lot of conflict. You'll remember at one point in time, they're ready to, to stone her, and Jesus does what? He bends down. Right? And he starts writing on the ground. Now, we don't know what he writes, but we do get a hint from the Greek which says that he katagraphon, which means that he wrote against them. And they saw this, and because of that, what they read, they walked away. They wanted to kill someone that day. Is this really good news? And in verse 12, he's going to open up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that is good news. Unless, of course, you don't believe that he's the light. And the people who were listening to him, they didn't believe that he was the light. And so then this argument ensues. That's what always happens when Jesus gets around religious people. There's some big discussion. And they say, how can we trust your testimony? Basically what they're saying is, you can't tell us 
who you are. We need to have another witness. And Jesus is going to say, my witness is my Father. But you don't know my Father. And so you don't know me. And so the testimony that I give that is backed up by my Father is invalid to you because you don't know God. Well, do you think they took that well at all? He's going to continue on in verse 14. He says, you have no idea where I come from. Verse 15, he says, you judge by human standards. Verse 19, you do not know me or my Father. Now, we're just getting started. I want you to really listen to this. Listen as the tension rises more and more. Because by the time Jesus gets done speaking, they are ready to act. Verse 21 uh, of John chapter uh, 8. We're going to pick it. I'm sorry. Uh, I, was in the, I was in the wrong. Yeah, John 8, 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away. And you will look for me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Okay, so he says, I'm going away, and you're going to die in your sins. And where I go, you can't come. Now, I don't know about that, but I am pretty sure that is not going to make it on a Hallmark card. It's not going to be there. It's not going to be something that you frame on your wall. It's not going to be something you make into a bumper sticker. It's not going to be something that you're proud of showing everybody you're going to hang it up. Jesus says, I'm going to go somewhere, and you can't go there, and you are going to die in your sins. And they're so confused that they almost miss the fact that He just says, you're a bunch of sinners who are going to die. And they say, what do you mean? Where are you going? And they think that maybe he's going to kill himself, we read in verse 22. And he says in verse 22, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Okay, he said it once two verses ago, but now he's going to double down and say it twice more. You will die in your sins. Now, Jesus did a lot of things well. One thing Jesus would never be is a politician, at least like some of the ones that we know. He's not good at telling people what they want to hear. He comes right in their face. He's not going to tell you, I want you to be happy and healthy and have fun and get everything that you want. He looks at those people and He says, you are going to die in your sins. Three times he says this. Is this good news? Is this the gospel that Paul talks about so many different times? What's really going on here? Let's continue on. They say in verse 25, Who are you? And he says, Just what have I been... Just... What I have been claiming all along. 
I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. And of course, verse 27, they don't understand. Jesus is going to share a little bit more with them. And in verse 32, I want to jump a little bit ahead. But he's going to say, listen, if you knew who I was and you knew uh, my teaching, you would be disciples. And then you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Well, that sounds really, really good. Except, why did they struggle with that statement of his? That's like somebody coming to you and saying, listen to me, if you do what I tell you, you can be free. You can have freedom to do what you want. And what they would say is, and what we would say is, I am free. Now, they don't remember real well. But they're upset by this idea that they're not free. Because as Israelites, as children of God, they say, we are free. They said, we've, all, we've never been slaves. That's not true at all. They don't know their history if they think that they, they've never been slaves. But here they were, arguing that he could not give them anything that they didn't already have. Now picking up in verse 34, he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. You get what he's saying here? You guys are slaves and you don't get anything. Only a son does. And I'm the son. I'm in the house And you're not. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Again, why are we calling this the gospel? How can this possibly be good news? The argument is going to continue. It's going to intensify up to the point in verse 41. They argue, they said, we are not illegitimate children. We belong to Abraham. And he's going to answer in 42. Listen to this. This is where it gets really good. He says, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. He says, you guys are deaf. And then he gets the biggie. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for where there is no truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Guys, this is this is not sugarcoating it. 
This is not going to get you the Sermon of the Year award. This is the only thing that Jesus had headed His way is people who are seething to kill Him. Good news? The Gospel? Is this something they want to hear? And then He's going to conclude with this. And this is the tipping point for them. He claims that he is greater than Abraham himself. And, and says, he says um, in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and it was glad. And they said, look, you're not even 50 years old and yet you say that you've seen Abraham. And he says this, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, what? what? Okay, so this is, I don't want you to get this. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and slipped away. He called them murderers and liars. He said they're going to die in their sin three different times. He implies that they're illegitimate children, that their father is the devil who is a murderer and a liar, and they follow him. And they keep taking it and taking it and taking it. And now, all of a sudden, he makes this one statement, and they have flat had it. What made them go off? Before Abraham was, I am. This simple little statement in Greek, ego, me. Why are they so mad about this? Because if you go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, Moses is having a conversation with God, and God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to what? Come on, we know this. Don't make me do this. Let my people go. Okay, there you have it. And Moses says, what do you mean? I can't do this. Like, I don't have any credentials. Remember, I'm the guy who ran away from Egypt 40 years ago because I'd killed somebody. They're not going to let me in there. And God says, go tell them that who sent you. I am. Jesus is now claiming to be God. They could take all the other things, but at this point they said, there is no way we're going to stand for this. And they try to kill him. The Gospel of John. The good news of a bunch of angry religious people chasing down a carpenter from Nazareth who is claiming to be God, and all they want to do is get their hands on Him so they could kill Him. And we stamp that and call it the Gospel. How in the world is this good news? How is it good news? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read this real quickly. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Why is the Gospel of John, why can we call this story of Jesus good news? Listen to what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Do you hear what he's saying here? You were down at the bottom of the totem pole. You weren't really that smart. You weren't influential. You didn't have a great family that you came from. But God chose you, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. God chose the weak. That's what we are, the weak things of the world, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things, that's us of this world, and the despised things, that's who we are, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. How can this be gospel? To the Jews who thought they were free and who thought that they had it all and had everything that they wanted the way that they wanted and they could hold people under their power and they were the ones that would walk around and say, I'm better than everybody else. Jesus couldn't be good news for them. But He can be for us today. All we have to do is realize that without Jesus, we're nothing. But with Jesus, it changes everything. It's better than Ed McMahon showing up your door with a big check. It's better than a raise, a promotion. It's better in marrying the most wonderful person in the world. Right, Jennifer? It's better than that. Think of the transformation. Paul reminds us that we were the low. But Jesus has exalted us because Jesus Himself made Himself the low so that God could exalt Him. Why do we call it the good news? Because there is none better ever written. It's the good news that He has taken our brokenness. He has taken our shame. He has taken our sin. And He's replaced it 
with joy and with confidence and with life and with hope. It's the good news. We're going to continue this conversation in just a few minutes in our class. And we're going to talk about why might this gospel not be good news to the people we meet out in this world. But for the people in Jesus' time who struggled with this, let me remind you, it is Christ who died for us, who was resurrected and who ascended in heaven like we talked about last week. And because of that, we can have good news. This morning, I want to encourage you to allow your name to be a part of that story of really, really good news. It's an opportunity to take your lowliness and your brokenness and be transformed and say, this is not the life that I want for myself. This is not what God has called me to. This was not why I was created. And you can say, I want to start a new life. You can choose to do so by being buried in water of baptism and rising again and being a part of His good story. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, if you want to choose to identify with us and help us as we seek to glorify Him, please come as we stand and sing.